Live, baby, live. Now that the day is over. Hope you're doing well, my friends. Good evening, good evening. Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain. And I am going to talk with y'all about the Donald. The Donald of Trumpness. And I am on, I guess, formerly of Reddit. The Donald.win is where I'm picking up my Ask Me Anything He's From. And uh, just... Uh, let me know if the audio is coming through well and everything is going all right. Sing more. Oh, I tell you, if I could just do that night and day, sing for a living, sing for my supper. Ooh, that would be delightful. But uh, uh, sadly, when did I go bald? Okay, okay. So I got to go to the AMA. <laughs> let's do that one. Okay. So let's let's talk politics. Let's talk Trump. Let's talk the election. Let's talk all of this kind of stuff. And uh, let's see here. Do you think it is possible to legislatively rein in government organizations like the FBI or CIA, or is the centralized power too great to overcome without starting fresh? Now, it's a great, great question. The most fundamental question of politics, of course, is who is watching the watchers? Who is watching the watchers? In other words, you say, gosh, you know, I have dangers in my life. There are people who might take my property. There are people who might shoot my dog. There are people who might steal my well water. There are people who might poison my food or, or run over my cat or something like that. So what am I going to do? How am I going to protect my property? That is a very, very good question. And the traditional answer has been, well, the way that I protect my property, you see, is I submit to a central coercive agency like the state who takes half my property and, well, gives most of it to immigrants <laughs> or whatever, right? So that is a big challenge. Who watches the watchers? So the FBI, the CIA, all of the, the Department of Homeland Security, all of the alphabet agencies that are there to supposedly protect you, the only way we can conceptually deal with this as individuals, as freedom-loving individuals, as I assume the people who are listening to this are, the only way we can deal with this issue, this problem, this question, is to say, ah, the people who populate those institutions, they must be angels. Joe Friday, homicide, just the facts, man. They must be angels. They must be people who wake up with no sense of identity or greed, no mammalian reptilian brain that thirsts for power and control over the most profitable livestock in the world, human tax livestock. They don't have the dopamine hit of rising in political ranks and power, and they just don't want resources. They are angels in human form. And we see this, of course, all the time in the media. They have these wonderful, or at least they used to now, it's been a little bit more high Harvey Keitel, bad lieutenant stuff, but there are all of these selfless cops and, you know, Andy Griffith uh, playing the sheriff uh, to, um, gosh, what was his name? Uh, the little redhead kid uh, who made Apollo later on, <laughs> Ron Howard, right? That there's just these wonderful, wonderful sheriffs and, and they just care about peace and, and they care about people and they care about all of this wonderful stuff. And they, those people don't exist. If you, if you want to understand political power, if you really, really want to get what it is, whatever you want the government to, to do, imagine giving that power to the worst person you've ever met. If you say, oh, you know, I really, really want the government to provide health care 
to the people who are sick. Yeah, it'd be great. You know, if healthcare were like sunshine, we'd want it bathed on everyone. But you've got to think to understand the reality of political power. Think, I want the very worst person I've ever met to control access to healthcare in return for power. That's a whole different... I really want the government to, to handle poverty and, and take care of the poor. Okay, so imagine giving the power to hand out money or withhold money. Imagine giving that power in the hundreds of billions of dollars a year to the very worst person you've ever known. Hopefully that's not someone you see in the mirror every morning shaving. But would you give the worst person you've ever met that power? Because once that power exists, good people are generally not drawn to controlling others. You know, I've, I've been doing my show for 15 years. I get called all kinds of names, but I will tell you straight up, my friends, I have never told someone what to do. I'm always saying, hey, if I were in your shoes, this is what I would consider. Here are the facts. Here's the data. I never say to people, do this, do that. Because there's absolutely no point, if you're philosophical, excavating somebody's identity and replacing it with your own particular worldview, your own particular decision matrix. Now, don't get me wrong. If somebody calls up and says, hey, I think I want to go run over a dog, I'll be like, well, don't do that, right? Or, or if people are suicidal or they, they call in in a real extremity, I'm like, try and talk them out of it and make sure they get the help that they need. And I pay for therapy for people who need it if they can't afford it themselves because talk therapy can be really good. But I don't want control over other people. Anybody who's healthy does not want control over other people because you can't have a relationship with people you control any more than you can have a relationship with a computer avatar that you're programming or Lars and the Real Girl, some inflatable doll that you have heavily oiled and squeaky in a closet somewhere. You can't have a relationship with an inanimate object. You can't have a relationship with somebody who doesn't exist. So if you want, as a social animal, if you want to connect with people, if you want to love people, if you want to be loved by people, you have to give up the ring. You have to give up the ring of power. You have to give up control over others in order to have relationships with them. And healthy people want relationships. Unhealthy people want power. You create that structure. You create that power. And people will try to take advantage of it. The worst people will be drawn to it. It's like laying out the honey in the in the forest, you're going to get the ants. And Trump, of course, is remarkable because he is somebody I think genuinely went into government in order to try and reject power, to minimize power, to control power. All right. Who do you, <laughs> who do you think will be the Republican presidential candidate in 2024? Well, that is an interesting question. Um, are we going to head for, you know, we've had two kind of clans, or well, there's been more than two, but two sort of recent clans of political families in America, the Kennedys and the Clintons. Is there going to be a Trump one? Well, there isn't, unless what Trump was elected for actually comes to pass. You know, I mean, what, it's been three and a half years, I guess, Coming on, right? Since the election. Gosh, time flies on the internet. Holy crap, it really does, right? So, what he has not done is managed to rein in immigration. He's got this whole thing. Listen, I like a lot about what Trump does, and I was particularly interested, interested in Trump because his mentor was a very strong anti-communist, which is one of the reasons why the leftists go completely mental around him, because... Like Joseph McCarthy, he's kind of lifting the lid on 
all the communism that is infiltrated and going on in the West. But he has not lived up to the wall. He has not lived up to an executive order undoing the complete nonsense footnote Supreme Court madness of birthright citizenship, which has been outlawed in just about every other sane, rational country in the universe, including most Western ones, including Canada. He hasn't done that. And he's talking about opening up immigration, more immigration, skilled immigration, saying, oh, well, we need the workers. And I talked to American companies and they can't find the workers. And that's just not true. You can read Michelle Malkin for more on, th- more on this. But after saying to everyone, oh, man, you got to go into STEM, right? you got to go into science, technology, engineering, mathematics. you got to get into the STEM fields because we desperately need those workers. And then they, people go into the STEM fields and they can't find work. I remember the Halcyon days back before massive waves of foreign, quote, workers coming into the West. Um, I got a computer job, my first computer job I got. Made me $40,000 a year back when I had – I was living in a room in a house. Cost me 275 bucks a month all told. I was never richer than when I was a student with my first real job. I got a job programming COBOL in COBOL 74 in a company that bought and sold stocks on the fly. So it was really high-intensity, high, high, intensity, high pressure work. And I was hired with no formal education in coding. They just asked me what I built. I'd done a whole bunch of coding before and all that, and I was ended up co-founding a company while I was working there and, and all of that. But uh, you could just go in. They were so desperate for people. So when Trump is saying, well, they can't find people, you have people digging their own graves, people. You have people at Disney and other places who are being forced to train their replacements. Well, clearly that's not – there's a shortage of workers. What there is, of course, is a shortage of workers at the prices that the American companies want. But I'll tell you this, as in somebody, I've probably interviewed a thousand people in the software field, I've hired well over a hundred, maybe 150, all told. You can never afford as a company to spend cheap on programming because you might get a bunch of code, but it's going to be spaghetti code. It's not going to have meaningful variable names. It's not going to be documented properly. It's not going to have the right comments in the right place and trying to get other people. If you have a complex code base, it takes anyone you hire takes three to six months to become useful. It's incredibly complex. So who's going to be in 2024? Well, if Trump can control immigration, if Trump can find some way to understand that if he wants people's wages to go up, then he has to restrict the flow of foreign workers coming in and displacing Americans. This America, what is it, a million people a year? That kind of stuff? That is... Absolutely mental. Now, of course, it serves political purposes. The left loves it because the people who come in with the path to citizenship and the communities that they're in generally vote for the left. They generally vote for the Democrats. So they like that. The big businesses like it because they can squeeze short-term profits out of paying people very little, so to speak, and and all of the problems will accrue down the road, right? Uh, It's like a drug addiction. It's like it's fun now, but man, you pay for it down the road. Cheap workers are fun now for profits. but uh, And given that that CEOs are chasing this rabbit of quarterly statements and quarterly profits and long-term planning has largely gone out the window, they're just like next quarter, next quarter, next quarter. They don't think about five or 10 years plan. You know, in China, they have 50-year plans, 100-year plans, 150-year plans. Can you imagine having that kind of time window? In the business world, where, where do you want to be in 100 years? I mean, that's amazing. You can't have that because so much money gets forced into the stock market. Everybody's just chasing one penny a stock price profit. 
So it's good for that. It's good for the boomers because mass immigration drives up the price of housing. And that keeps the boomers happy because that magic ATM of increasing real estate values is great. And it serves everybody except the young who can't afford to start families because housing is too expensive. It's really brutal. So if Trump can do what he was elected to do, and he's done a lot of what he was elected to do, and I'm, I'm not trying to, I'm just, you know, these are little jabs. These are like the Socratic gadfly jabs at people to remember that control over immigration is key. If America loses its demographics to leftist voting blocs, which it's on its way to doing, then Trump will be the last Republican president of any meaningful status. And uh, it doesn't really matter. In 2024, it doesn't matter. You can't win. The whole country will turn into California. So, all right. So somebody says, uh, Stefan, I'm a subscribe star customer. Yeah, so if you want to help me out, which I would really, really appreciate that, um, you can go to freedomain.com forward slash donate. Would you create a must list, a must read book list so I can be more like you one day? Well, don't be like me, but be like yourself with reason and evidence. I appreciate the, the sentiment though. Uh, here are some ideas for your revenue. Sell private life coaching. Uh, package your videos into online courses. Speak conservative ads on the show like Shapiro does. Do some AM radio appearances and direct your audience there. Advertisers will pay for airtime. I appreciate all of those thoughts. I really do. I mean, uh, it's uh, it's become increasingly challenging over the last year or so to keep all of this uh, running the way that I want it to. But nonetheless, uh, I don't want to talk about business woes at the moment. But um, let's let's keep going. Let me just sort of refresh this and make sure that I'm on with uh, uh, the questions. So let's go here. I work with a group of socialists that are constantly bashing Trump and conservatism. What's a good rebuttal to use without ousting myself? Oh, is the live feed freezing up? Uh, is, it, is it okay? Feed okay? Sorry. I just want to, I mean, not that there's a huge amount I can do at the moment. But uh, let's just make sure about that. Uh, yeah. You need the little donate button in the chat. Okay, well, you know, freedomain.com forward slash donate if you want to go uh, that way. So let's get back to the questions here. So with regards to socialists, it's, it's tough, right? Because I, I want to sort of help you understand the socialist mindset. Because a lot of them are not evil people, of course, right? They're well-meaning. They want to help. And from their perspective, you know, we're the bad guys. I mean, you can see them online, right? They genuinely think that we're the bad guys. And so it's important to know what is happening in their mind. So if you think of money like oxygen, I mean, I know it sounds a little funny. Think of money like oxygen. Now, imagine... If you wanted to deny oxygen, oxygen to people, I mean, that's, that's really bad. I mean, you, you'd, be, you'd be like Jeffrey Epstein's cellmate, right? I mean, you'd, you'd be a bad, bad guy if you wanted to deprive people of oxygen. And so if you think of money like oxygen, which is the leftist view, it's just, it's there, it's everywhere, everybody should be able to have access to it, it's unlimited uh, for all practical intents and purposes, money is like oxygen, it's air. So... If you, the only reason you'd want to deny someone air or oxygen is because you, you hated them and wanted them to suffer and die, right? And anybody who 
I don't know, like imagine there was some movie theater and somebody sealed it up and started sucking out all the oxygen. I mean, that would be the actions of a crazy lunatic who would be hell-bent on killing dozens or hundreds of people or harming them or whatever it is, right? Or, you know, you'd be pinching somebody's air ways if if they were down scuba diving or they needed air in a hospital or something like that that's a so if you think of money like air you understand the way that the socialist mentality goes and once you understand that they view money as air you can understand why they think of us as the bad guys by saying hmm you know uh, money's not air money is fungible almost infinitely expandable through the state but fundamentally All resources are finite. All resources are finite and all human desires are infinite. That is the basic reality of the world, of life, of everything. So once you get that, then you, if you can't puncture or pierce the perception that resources are infinite, you have no hope whatsoever because you're just talking about denying oxygen to people who need to breathe. Who are you to deny oxygen to people who need to breathe? So if you're talking about, well, let's pay teachers more and let's have Medicare for all and let's have free college tuition and let's forgive student loan debt and so on, you understand. They view corporations as charging people for breathing and it's an unjust debt. It's an unjust debt. So if you can't puncture this resources or infinite perception, you can't have a sensible conversation with them. So, you know, one thing you can say is, what would you cut? Now, they, of course, say that the, the, infinite, the infinite air thing is just tax the rich, right? That's the magic hellspawn phrase that they just use to, to wish away any sense of rational limitations on resources or consumption. Say, tax the rich, just tax the rich, and you'll be set, right? Is it uh, not working? Can I reduce the quality? I don't know. Let's see here. Sorry about this. You can refresh and set quality lower yourself. Don't talk about the freezing. I'm so sorry about this. Um, I've not had any problems with this before, but you're saying that uh, it is not working super well. All right. Let me try. Oh, looks like I can't change it while it's here. Working fine for me. Still frozen solid. I guess just try a refresh. Sorry about this. Um, I, I did try and book the, um, internet, but maybe somebody else in Canada is, is using, uh, is using it. So try refresh, exit and re-enter. Should I come out and come back in? Yeah, it's funny because I just did, uh, I did like a two hour. Yeah, it's fine. Um, changed. Yeah. So if you want to change to 480p, it should be working well, right? Uh, I don't get super chats. The whole channel's been demonetized. So, yeah, just lower lower the resolution and you should be fine. Um, I don't know. We did like, I don't know, three or 4,000 people uh, just a little while ago. And um, it was fine. So, I'm sorry. Can't uh, can't do much about that in the moment. So, so yeah, t- uh, talk to them about resources. I mean, what happens when we run out of money? What How is the national debt going to be paid off? Now, if they have any kind of rational bone in their body, so to speak, in other words, if they're open to the idea or the basic reality that resources are finite, then you can start having conversations about 
balancing needs and requirements and the fact that resources are finite and so on, that's important. So if, and, and, and that's a good, like, can they think? Do, do they understand that resources are finite? And it's funny too, because if people could take the, the, the ideas that they have about the environment and, and move it to the concept of money, then we'd be a whole lot better off. Because people say, like, if you say to people, can we continue to consume nature's resources forever? Can you continue to use oil forever? Can you continue to use wood, which is more renewable, of course, forever? And they'd say, well, no, you know, it's, you know we're going to use up resources and all that. And if you can get them to get the same idea regarding money. Now, it's tough for them to get that idea about money. But... That's a whole other conversation about fiat currency and the government being able to type whatever it wants into its own Federal Reserve massive bank account from hell. So just give them a sense if they're, if they're willing to accept that there are limitations, that money is not like oxygen, then you can start to have a conversation about those limitations and see what's, uh, what's going on. All right. I will uh, keep going to the next question. And uh, let's see here. <laughs> Sometimes if I just slam my fist into the PC, it starts working again. All right. Let's see here. Trump's biggest rival at this point, in my opinion, is voter fraud, democratic election meddling. What is your opinion on this? Thank you. Yeah, that is going to be a huge issue, right? So there's there's two – I mean, there's three basic ways that the left hobbles the republic, right? I mean, so so the first is, of course, immigration, mass immigration. And the second is propaganda, right? Because the left owns Hollywood, the left owns the uh, mainstream media, the left owns the news, the left owns Hollywood, they like all of this kind of stuff. So that is a huge problem. And then the third, of course, is voter fraud, where I was talking to a woman who was running for office out in San Francisco, and she was saying, you know, some of the voters are like 130 years old. So that is going to be a big problem. See, the left, this is the challenge, and this is why the threat of, of violence is going to continue to escalate, because the left, they don't hide anything. This is the funny thing, right? They're very, very clear and very, very open about what they want and what they want to do. You can't fault them for keeping anything secret or, or subtle. You know, they have very clearly... And very openly said that they will achieve their goals by any means necessary. By any means necessary. They don't have a particular ethical standard or, or barrier where they say, ooh, here, but no further. And of course, James O'Keefe has been doing incredible work with Project Veritas, and I hope that you will go and help them out as well. Uh, they've been doing incredible work regarding this stuff getting to like lift the, the carpet, lift the lid and look into the hellscape of the leftist mindset. Like the recent one, which is a guy working for the Bernie Sanders campaign was uh, all about, yeah, gulags weren't that bad. You got conjugal visits and hey, what are you supposed to do with people who oppose the revolution? You got to re you got to put them in re-education camps. You know, once you're out there and oh, and he says, I'm an anarcho-communist, an anarcho-socialist or whatever. It's like, yeah, because, you know, nothing, nothing says no rulers like defending Stalin's gulags, right? So that is a very sort of real, real issue. They've said they'll do it by any means necessary. And those of us who are 
kind of uh, earning our own income, paying our own way out there in the vestiges of the free market, eating what we kill and so on, we have a certain amount of confidence in our capacity to survive change, to survive. I mean, if you're on, if you're on the paying taxes end of government redistribution, if you're on like the unconscious in a Chinese bathroom, stitches in your side organ donor uh, in this equation, then, you know, you kind of want government to shrink. Government shrinking benefits you, right? Less taxes, less regulation, less this, that, and the other, right? So it's also important to get on the mindset of someone who is utterly dependent and can't name it for what it is. That's a really tortured mindset to be in, right? So if you're some government employee, right, and, and you've been working for the government for like, I don't know, 15 years, 20 years. I mean, after 20 years, it seems like everyone retires. But but imagine this, right? So you have a salary that is like a third or a half higher with benefits probably even more than you would get in the private sector. And of course, your job is much easier. You've gotten lazy. Job security, you just... You're kind of uh, in an evolutionary dead end with regards to the free market. And so if you think that you're making 120, 130, 140,000 bucks a year all in with benefits and who knows even what the calculation is for job security and so on, when people start talking about shrinking government, cutting back government, cut, cutting taxes, well, that is your bread and butter. That is your lifeblood. That is – and the idea that you're going to go out there and compete in the free market – is existentially terrifying. I know that's kind of an overused word, but it actually does fit in this particular context. It is existentially terrifying to think that you are going to go from your comfortable, secure, well-paid, cushy, consequence-free, do-nothing-play-candy-crush lifestyle to actually having to go out there, produce value. It's very humiliating because when you pay people a lot of money and give them a lot of job security, they start mistaking that for their own identity. And they think that they're all that and a side order of cheesecake, right? But when you actually start to have them face the free market, I mean, I know it would be healthier for them. It would be better for them. They'd be happier people in the long run. But, you know, there's a bit of a trough they're going to have to go through there. And they just, they view the free market like you would view a home invasion. Like people are just going to come in and take your stuff and scare the living crap out of you. Well, I guess especially in West Virginia these days, right? So if you understand that people look at the free market like it's a thief, like it's a, an infiltrator, like it's something that is just going to do terrible things to them, then you can understand this anxiety, this 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 terror. It's it, And you can't say, you can't say this is the thing. Once they can get you to lie about who you are, they control you, right? Because you can't sit there and say, ah, you know, I know that my money is kind of given to me at gunpoint. I know the government prints it or, or hits the debt burden on the next generation or points guns at people to get my paycheck. And I've got all this petty power and job security, which I didn't really earn. And my job is kind of a do-nothing job. And I've gotten kind of lazy and, and uh, unmotivated and indifferent to everything and and so on, right? If if people actually start to say that, then they don't, they can't rouse themselves to the moral fervor and the moral righteousness to say, well, I'm going on strike. You can't get your garbage. Your kids can't go to school. You can't, whatever, right? We're going to just work to rule. We're going to take to the streets. We're going to beat up scabs, whatever it is that you have to rouse yourself to do. You can't do it if you feel like you're unjust, if you're a predator, if you're taking things from the state at the expense of other people at gunpoint or at the soft gunpoint of, of infinite or near infinite debt. 
And so what you have to do to keep the gravy train going is you have to say, well, I'm the good guy, they're the bad guys, right? Because the when it comes to paying taxes and being on the receiving end, and I'm not talking about a central government worker, so let's just leave that topic aside for the. But you know, when you, when you pay a dollar in to to help people who are poor, and you know, seventy or eighty cents of it goes to the bureaucrats, they're not the good guys, right? They're, they're not the good guys. Charities work usually less than ten percent, some are five percent or less in terms of overhead. With the welfare state, you're seventy, eighty percent, or sometimes even north of that of overhead. Those are not the good guys. Nobody gives a dollar to a guy hoping that fifteen to twenty to twenty-five cents makes it to the poor. And they're not the good guys. And so if you don't feel like you're the good guy, you can't fight to keep your unjust money and your unjust power and privilege and security. So you have to convince yourself that you're the good guy. Now, if you're the good guy, then anyone who interferes with you, who interferes with you, they must be the bad guy. And that's the mindset. And um, that's a tough thing to penetrate. You know, once you have somebody's wallet, uh, their heart and mind generally drifts in your <laughs> general direction. So uh, this is, again, why... You know, my hope for a peaceful resolution to all of this is not always uh, super, uh, super high. So, all right, so let's get to the next one. It's great questions, by the way. All right. So, dear Stefan, God bless you for your patriotism and supporting the Donald dot win. Uh, I'm not American, but I appreciate the sentiment. My question, you seemed very upset with President Trump when he shot 59 Tomahawk missiles into that Syrian military airfield because of the, quote, gas attack. Do you now appreciate how brilliant this move was in stopping NATO using devastating sanctions because POTUS had already punished Syria, stopping Congress declaring war because POTUS had already punished Syria, sending a face-slapping message to the world that POTUS doesn't tolerate chemical weapons convention violations, especially in zones where our troops are serving. Note that the airfield was operational again within five hours of the strike, and it all it cost was a few empty sheds. Well, oh, I, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. I really do. And I don't know if you're right or if you're wrong. I don't know. But that's probably more 4D chess than, than can be conceived of by a single human mind in terms of planning it out and having it go that way. So a lot of people who, who are pro-constitution, small government, pro-Trump, anti-communist, anti-socialist. So what they do is they say, well, there's this 40 chess and there's 3D chess and, and there's all these plans and this is the Q stuff and, and uh, Jeff Sessions was doing this, that and the other. Uh, he's a hidden cobra who's going to strike and Barr is doing this, that and the other. And there's all these plans that are so slow circling and so on. It's like, oh, that's all well and good. But the Democrats have spent three and a half years throwing their opponents in jail and bankrupting them. What was it, General Flynn, $5 million of, of legal bills? You know, so it's it's all good to say, well, you know, these traps are being slowly and carefully laid. And it's like, yeah, but who's who's left at the end to activate them if everybody's – if there's a smoking crater where everyone's finances or freedoms were? So it could be. It could be that there's all of this stuff. Well, first of all, the chemical – a gas attack was, in my view, and I think there's good evidence for this, some of which came out of WikiLeaks, was just fake, which is not real. It was not real. The idea that Bashar al-Assad, who was winning and had already surrounded this town, the idea that he was just going to release chemical weapons, which for sure would bring an international attack back against him, and he'd already encircled, he was already winning, he'd, you know, come on. That's not, he's not, he's not going to do that. that. That's not how, you know, you may not like the guy. I get that. But evil isn't stupid. I mean, this is the North Korean argument, right? I mean, they, they, you say, oh, he's crazy. It's like, no, they're not crazy. 
I mean, evil is not crazy. Bashar al-Assad, you know, whether he's a good or a bad guy, you know, it's a topic for another time. And it's probably a mixture of both. But the gas attack was fake, for sure. Now, I the, the way that I think it works, and again, I don't have any particular inside scoop or information on this, but the way that I think it works is this. I think what happens is the um, the deep state, the, the military-industrial complex, you know, they need their blood. They need their blood. And they want it, and they will bloody well get it. They will bloody well get it. And how much do you give to them for that, right? How much do you give the deep state? How much do you give these people? It's, it's a very, very big question, right? It's a very big question. And I think that what's happening, and again, could be right, could be wrong. I think what's happening is he's giving them their pound of flesh. He's giving them their blood. Okay, you can have a couple of airstrikes, but that's it. You know, <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a bite of cheesecake, but you got to finish your broccoli. And I, I think it's more along that. I think he can withhold the dogs of war to some degree, but not all the way. And I think if he were to withhold the dogs of war all the way, I think that it would be much more difficult. So I think that there's a negotiation that's going on, which says, okay, what's the minimum amount of blood or treasure or whatever that can be spilled in order to satisfy the military industrial complex? And, you know, it's like they used to kill babies, and then they gave them circumcision, uh, or whatever, like, like, what's the minimum amount of bloodshed that can occur or the minimum amount of violence that can occur in order to maintain uh, some level of peace. I think a lot of that is going on, frankly, and I think that's a lot more to do with it because they're like, well, you've got to do something, Mr. President. And it's like, okay, fine. <laughs> I'll do I'll do this. And um, I think that's what's going on. And again, I say that without any particular uh, magic crystal ball that uh, is actually um, giving an answer. So, will I ever do the truth about Nazism? Ah, you know, I, I love the historical stuff, but um, it, it's very, very time consuming. And there's just a lot that's consuming my time at the moment. It's somewhat show related, but not totally show related. All right. Could you debate the streamer Destiny? He's pretty smart. So he often makes us come off as stupid, but I'm sure you could crush him. Well, you know, i Maybe, I mean, I don't know what, the, crush somebody in a debate, you know, we try to find some common ground and so on. And I had talked about it. And then somebody who was in touch with him, you know, I said, well, what do you want to talk about? And it was like, it was just nonsense garbage that came back. So it was not particularly appealing to me. All right. Let's see here. Oh, people are uh, commenting on what it is <laughs> that I'm saying. Well, that's uh, very nice. So let's see here. Do you believe the media and Silicon Valley will be beaten by smaller platforms? So the, the, the middle is hollowing out, right? This is the general extremism that is occurring, right? The, the middle, it's like Moses of the Red Sea. You got a big canyon in the middle and there's lots of water on either side, right? So the middle is hollowing out and everything is going to either side. And that is a big, big problem. What's happening with, with social media 
is it was kind of an even playing field, but then the wrong people started getting real prominence, right? And, you know, the, the swimmers who get stronger are the ones who train against the current. If you're swimming with the current, you just kind of get lazy. So the people who have the best arguments, the best communication skills, the most charisma, the best sense of humor, and so on, they're the people who've been going against the narrative. So when I was in undergraduate, I mean, I was, I was, did undergraduate in, in uh, half an undergraduate in English literature. I did almost two years at the National Theater School in acting and playwriting. I did two years of undergraduate finishing in history at McGill. And then I did a graduate degree in history, focusing on the history of philosophy. And I disagreed with just about everyone all the time. <laughs> I really did. And that gave me nimbleness. It gave, like, I got much more out of my education because I disagreed so strongly with what I was being taught. And so I had to come up with better arguments. If you disagree with the professor, I mean, I remember having ferocious debates with my Marxist professors, or I remember having, uh, uh, doing extra work for, for the woman who taught me, uh, Aristotle. And, and I remember doing extra essays and sitting down with her. And she's like, why would you be doing this? You know, like you, I've never had a student do this many extra essays. It's like, cause I'm, I went to work up North for a year and a half after high school, gold panning and prospecting. I'm like, damn, that is hard work, man. I, whatever I'm going to do at school. I remember, um, a woman asked me out first couple of weeks I went to college at McGill and I'm like, no, I, I'm going to, sorry, I can't go out. I got to work on an essay. And she's like, but that's not due for a month. I'm like, yeah, but still <laughs> I want to do it now. So all of that swimming against the current makes you stronger, makes you more engaged, gives you a kind of moral courage. So then when people really get disagree with you and get mad at you or whatever, it's like, man, eh, you know, I mean, I was dealing with this when I was 24 in college. I'm pretty much sure I can deal with it at 53 uh, on the internet. So, so when the, the, the ground was even, so to speak, it was an even playing field or e equality of opportunity, the wrong people were gaining prominence. So what's going to happen? Well, they, you got to find ways to, to get those people off, uh, other people's radar. Cause you know, if, if, if you have been, um, uh, if you've been swimming with the current and then you're in a swimming race with someone who's been practicing for, five years against the current, then you're most likely going to lose. So you don't want, like, you feel that that's unfair. So in order to push back against the popularity of people who, by being counter-cultural, counter-leftist, counter-collectivist, counter-anti-rational, counter-subjectivist, counter and so on, in order to balance out the fact that we're stronger because we've been swimming against the current, they have to have a start further back. They have to have, you know, one lane still going with the current, one lane's got the current jetting up against us, like we're stuck in one of those surf parks or something like that. And so that, that putting your finger on the scale and evening things out is one of the things that's happening in uh, social media as a whole. And it's not fair, so to speak, and I understand all of that, and, and it's not right. It's not how things should be. But what's going to happen, I think, is that there are alternative platforms where that, you know, finger on the scale stuff can't really happen, either because people are devoted to it or because the very technology doesn't allow for this kind of uh, suppression or selective show this search but hide this search and, and all of that. I mean, I've said this before, like if you go and and do a search for the documentary I put out recently called Hong Kong Fight for Freedom, I mean, you go search on DuckDuckGo, it's right there. You go other places and it, it it's not really there. It's not really that. It's the most censored, censored documentary around. So what's going to happen is 
the mainstream, sorry, it looks like I'm rebooting, but I just want to make sure I get the thought as, as compressed as possible because a lot of questions coming in. So what's going to happen is there's going to be a kind of big blob of people who go to the traditional social media sites. Why? Because either there's personal stuff they want to share, they want to share baby photos on Facebook or whatever, which is perfectly fine and love babies and it's all great, right? Or they want to go and uh, see who was on James Cordroy's um, carpool karaoke and they want to see cats running into screen doors and uh, – they want to see those incomprehensible videos where I think it's an Asian kid is playing on a water slide or something like that. And and so that that's what they'll go and do. They want to go and see, hey, what were the seven things I didn't know about the movie Jaws? And like, nothing wrong with those videos. They're perfectly fine. You know, we, we can't just be like philosophy dudes all the time. And there's nothing wrong with that kind of kicking back and just giggling at stuff. And um, I've been known to be partial to uh, the odd uh, funny audition uh, a video and so on. There's nothing wrong with all that stuff. So that's going to be the big blob of the big bulge and it's going to be inoffensive and it's going to be uncontroversial and it's going to be profitable and there's all that kind of stuff, right? And then all of the people who are surprising, who are original, who are stronger, who have swum against the current, well, all those people are probably going to find themselves uh, either mirroring or being somewhere else uh, in order that. And then, so there's going to be a big blob of people who don't affect the world. And there's going to be a tiny sort of laser-like focus of people who do affect the world. And there's just going to be a big split. And the people who don't affect the world, who are watching the the um, funny videos or the cat videos or whatever, they're going to be occasionally really startled when they come into contact with people who are changing the world. And there's going to be this sort of mob-like recoiling and potential attack and all that kind of stuff. So... All right. Yeah, I'm sorry. I um, uh, I, I actually let me. I, I'll test it again. I did a test. I, I didn't want to do a big long test of my uh, upload, uh, but uh, my upload is is very good, and so that shouldn't be a problem. Even with all of this running, uh, my upload should be more than enough to handle 720p. So I, it's not uh, it's not my upload, and it doesn't sound like it's your download. So. Maybe it's somewhere in the middle. Uh, I don't know. But I will say this. Uh, of course, I am uh, uh, recording this, so it will look like it will just have to go out uh, in another way or another format or something like that. All right. Let's get to these uh, these these questions. Are aliens out there? Absolutely. Uh, of course. I mean, of course. There are 100 billion galaxies with 100 billion stars. Uh, there's absolutely no doubt that there are other planets in the Cinderella zone, like not too hot, not too cold, right in the middle of the... And, and of course, there's no doubt carbon-based, maybe silicon-based, but probably carbon-based life forms are out there. The odds that they're anywhere close to us in terms of development are ridiculously small. I mean, if you look at... And I did some speeches on this, much to the consternation of some, when I was in uh, Australia last year, I did speeches on the Aborigines because I had actually heard, and I think it was a good point, People had said, oh, you know, a lot of you North Americans come over to Australia and you just give your canned speeches and you don't detail anything to do with us and so on. So I was like, hmm, what can I talk about in Australia that'd be kind of cool? So I did speeches on the Aborigines where I got members of the audience to uh, imitate the kookaburra bird. It was actually quite a lot of fun. So if you look at, say, the Europeans coming to Australia and you had the Aborigines who'd been in Australia for about 40,000 years, and you had the Maori who'd been in New Zealand for a couple of hundred years, and they had very little in common. And this is, you know, human beings who had developed on the same planet, who'd been separated by hundreds or tens of thousands of years, and wasn't like there was a huge amount that was in common. And so if you look at that particular disparity, 
same environment, same genetic base, uh, you know, split off for a little bit of time. And of course, in, in the entire history of the universe, what, 13, 14 billion years, like 40,000 years is like nothing. And a couple of hundred years is even less than nothing. So the idea that there's going to be this Star Trek universe or the Star Wars universe where there are all these different races and but they're all kind of at the same level of development and they're you know all it's like no that's not how it's going to be they're either going to be um you know proteins struggling to get out of the uh <laughs> the water or they're going to be interdimensional beings that that we can't even really comprehend so uh unfortunately there's just not going to be anywhere out there that is uh, uh is like us all right should hong kong return to british rule Oh, well, I tell you, the England that is going on now is a far cry from the England that founded Hong Kong back in the uh, 1850s, 1860s. So, um, yeah, I would not – if I was uh, if I were Hong Kong, um, that would not be my first uh, particular choice. Let's see here. Why do you dodge debates with prominent figures on the left? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not aware of any debates that I have dodged with prominent figures on the left, so – there's this kind of constant thing, and it's really boring, you know. I mean, everybody who's out there critiquing and bitching away at public figures like me, you all think you're so original. It's like, oh, yeah, well, why do you only talk with people who agree with you? And you never take debates with people who challenge you. It's like, of course, I've done tons of debates with people who've, who've challenged me. I've done tons of debates with people who um, disagree with me significantly. And it's just – it's hard to find people who are willing to debate at the moment. So, all right. Uh, voter fraud, yeah. I mean, Judicial Watch is doing a lot of good stuff to do with that, but uh, voter fraud is going to be a big issue. It's going to be a big, big issue. All right. Let's see here. Thoughts on Virginia? I am not uh, up to speed enough on Virginia, but um, uh, I think that the the argument that uh, you know West Virginia was – West Virginia was formed, wasn't it, by splitting it off, uh, entirely constitutional. And, you know, this idea that America is going to split in two. I mean, of course, America should, you know, if, if two people, if two groups of people fundamentally can't agree and they're using the state to try and impose, right, you either have to. OK, so where, where did uh, the First Amendment come from? Where did I know it's not directly in the Constitution or anything, but the idea of the separation of church and state come from? Where did it come from? Well, it came from the fact that when religions were able to dominate the state and mandate through the power of the state other people's religious adherence and beliefs. Um, well, this happened in, in Europe for hundreds of years after Martin Luther fractured Christendom, which was kind of already fracturing to begin with. But when Martin Luther published the Bible in the vernacular and everyone got their hands on it and started interpreting in their own way, you got a wild proliferation of different flavors and forms of Christianity, right? So there was, of course, the Catholic Church, the monolith, the old Christendom, and then that split into, of course, I was raised as a Protestant Christian. There was uh, Zwingalianism, there was Lutherism, there was Anabaptism. Anabaptism was the idea that you had to have an adult baptism because you couldn't accept Jesus when you were a child. And all of that was going on. And what happened was every religious group, because the state could mandate religion, there was a state religion, every religious group was trying to get a hold of the state to impose its own version of religion on other people and to avoid having other people's version of religion imposed upon themselves. And because the stakes were entrance to heaven, um, well, uh, it, it was very high stakes, of course, the highest stakes that you could possibly have. And Europe 
this is very, very abbreviated, of course, but Europe as a whole went through hundreds of years of religious warfare. And then eventually people were like, you know what, we just, we can't have the government legislating matters of belief, particularly matters of religious belief to do with an afterlife, to do with heaven and hell. We just simply can't have it because it's just endless warfare. Now, of course, the most fundamentalist people in Europe were killed off in these religious wars. And the more cynical, you could say, maybe even the more nihilistic, I mean, there's a reason why Nietzsche became so popular, but the more relativistic, the more what Christopher Hitchens would call the more ironical frame of minds, the people who could take sort of an ironic distance from the belief systems, and they tended to survive, whereas the most ideologically committed tended to wipe each other out. And this gave some birth to the Renaissance, the Enlightenment in particular, the Age of Reason and so on. And so the reason I'm saying all of that is that the government is legislating the redistribution of income in the way that the government was legislating the, the destination of souls in the past. And of course, there should be, uh, if, two, if two groups, the left and the right, so to speak, can't find a way to live together in peace, and I think that the onus, there have been times in history where the onus has been more on the right, but in, in the West, and particularly in America at the moment, the onus for breaching the peace, so to speak, is, is on the left. And of course, there should be a split. It's like what people say, oh, let's just, you know, they have this kind of L-shaped wall, like it's along the southern border, and then it goes up around California, and then you put the wall around California. And, but this is the reality. The reality is, of course, that the people who are dependent upon the taxpayer, the people who are the half of the Americans, half of people throughout the West, who are dependent upon the taxpayer, they, they can't form their own country. They can't form their own tax base. I mean, the whole country can't be Illinois. <laughs> you understand? The whole, the whole country can't be the CalPERS. It can't be the California pension scheme. Somebody's got to pay in in order for people to pull out. And so let's say that there was some magical way to split America. And on, on the left were all the people who were dependent on the state. And on the right were all the people who were productive and hardworking and so on. Well, the left will immediately collapse and try and invade the right. Unfortunately, that is just the way that things work and or, or don't work or whatever, right? So to me, it still remains a very strong ideological battle, which is why I picked that first question about how do you talk to, to the socialists. All right. Greetings, Stefan. Thanks for joining us. How do you see this entire impeachment hoax panning out when everything is all said and done? Yeah, there is no, there is no bounds, no, 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 um, there's no basis for impeachment. There's no, I mean, there's less than no basis for impeachment. You you could argue that there was <laughs> basis for other people to be impeached, but no, there's no um, there's no basis for impeachment. And the impeachment I view as it's a PR stunt. It's what you know. You ever have this thing where it's like it's it's always the case in movies, right? Like there's some woman she she's she's going down the dark alley, and there's this law in, in movies. It's like before the the killer clown jumps out at the end of the alley, she's got to be startled by a cat. You know, this is just one of these rules, right? Or uh, in some movie, some guy almost gets hit by a car and he's like, oh, whew, that was close. And then boom, you know, uh, full up uh, uh, gets gets smashed by a car, right? So you, you get this near boo and then you get this, right? So the Russia collusion conspiracy theory, people were like, oh, finally, Mueller report came out and it's been like, okay, this is all over, right? And that's like the little cat in the alley or the, the car that almost hits you. And then you're like, woof. Okay, let's keep moving on. And then boom, you know, down comes the hammer for impeachment. And, um, you know, one of the things, of course, this anti-Russia stuff, see, Russia's sitting on a lot of secrets about 
the Americans, right? Because, uh, you know, Russian companies put massive amounts of money into Clinton's foundation-y hands, and, and then magically they got access to a huge amount of uranium in America, and Russians paid Hillary and Bill huge amounts of money, and there's just a huge amount of corruption. And I think as far as I remember it, the government, it was the Ukrainian government starting to look into Burisma and all of the Hunter Biden stuff and so on. So the Russians, they got a lot of they got a lot of Democrat bodies and, and know where they're buried, so to speak, or the victims of Democrats. So you've got to have this hysterical anti-Russia stuff. So nobody listens to Russia. It's preemptive, right? Because Russia could release a whole bunch of stuff that would be very damning, I think, to the Democrats. And so the Democrats have to constantly demonize Russia uh, so that people won't listen. Oh, it's just more Russian propaganda and so on, right? You, you want to find a way to discredit the main witness against you in any kind of trial, right? That's sort of what lawyers do. And that's what the left is doing with regards to Russia and Ukraine and so on. So there is no particular basis for impeachment. Uh, Trump, as far as I can see, uh, did did nothing wrong, and there was no quid pro quo. And I mean, there was with quid pro Joe, right? Joe Biden, for sure. I mean, he's out there. What was it? Council for Foreign Relations. He's sitting there saying, "Well, uh, I told uh, you can't get the money. You can't get the billion dollars plus an aid unless you fire the prosecutor who's looking into my son." Gosh, don't you know it? The guy got fired. I mean, that's sheer quid pro quo as far as I can see. And, and I mean, that's an astonishing thing to just have that out there on video and have the guy still walking around. But, you know, that's the get out of jail free card. That's the box around which the uh, the left operates. So um, it is uh, it is not a valid impeachment. Uh, and uh, it is just politics. And uh, it is it's scaring the living hell out of Americans. And it bloody well should. You know, it's um, uh, it's terrifying. Uh, it's it's terrifying for the Americans because um, it literally is uh, it's a coup. I mean, it's an overthrowing of a legitimate election because they don't like the outcome, and it really has nothing to do with um, any outrage of a corruption or anything like that. I mean, look, and everything that the Democrats do, they've. I mean, geez, Hillary Clinton dedicated. Her work to uh, Sololinsky's Rule for Radicals, who dedicated his work to Satan. I mean, it's really not very subtle. It's really not very subtle. And so the idea that they're just outraged at corruption, I mean, they've already said by any means necessary. I mean, they're just trying to hang on to their ill-gotten gains. That's the peop- the left and the people who depend on them uh, and, and depending on the state. So that is uh, reality. All right. The man himself, thank you for this AMA. I appreciate that. Thank you. And I'm very sorry for uh, some of the laggy issues. I don't know if they're any better or not, but uh, it happens. Yay, welcome. What do you think about the Donald.win website? Love the name. I think it's very, very interesting. All right. Uh, Let's go down here. About two years ago or so, Reddit CEO said this, I'm confident that Reddit could sway elections. We wouldn't do it, of course, and I don't know how many times we could get away with it. But if we really wanted to, I'm sure Reddit could have swayed at least this election this once. Do you think that in 2020, Reddit and the rest of the big tech will collude together to try and rig the presidential election against Trump? Well, you know, that's that's a big question. That's very, very speculative, of course. I don't know if we're going to collude together and so on. But... There does seem to be a disproportionate number of Democrats at the senior levels of big tech companies. And, you know, it's amazing. Let's sort of take it out of the realm of what is and just sort of go into the realm of theory. I know that sounds very abstract, but it's sometimes easier to, to get the bridge in your mind before you build it in the mud, so to speak, right? So let's say there's 
Company. <laughs> Q Company, right? And in Q Company, they, they have a grave concern about what they call disinformation. And they want people to be informed. They don't want people to, mis- to be misinformed. And they don't want people to get bad diet advice. And they don't want people to hear that smoking is good for you. And they don't like, because they, they care about people. They're concerned about people. They don't want people to get misinformation. Now, they watch a lot of CNN. They watch a lot of ABC. They watch a lot of NBC because they really like to see where Epstein is not. And so they view those as reliable sources. So the, these these are the sources that say, well, you know, Trump is, is bad and he, he locks kids in cages and uh, he hates uh, Muslims and, and uh, he... Uh, uh, is, is a terrible guy and, and he colluded with Russia and it's an illegitimate election. So this is what you genuinely believe because you watch these mainstream media, 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 kind of moody too, right? Mainstream media outlets, right? And so then there are these people on the internet who disagree, you see, with what the mainstream media is is telling you. But because the mainstream media is mirroring your beliefs because they want your eyeballs for, I mean, there's ideological reasons behind it, but they also want your eyeballs for advertising revenue. So they'll pander to you, they'll tell you what you want to hear and so on. They're not out there creating the alternative media, the honest media, the unbought media. We're out here creating an audience, right? I'm not sitting there saying, gosh, okay, I had no audience when I started. And if, if people had said, oh, you know, boy, what the world really needs is a philosophy show with one middle-aged guy talking in front of a white screen uh, well, originally a red screen, then a white screen, now a slightly blue screen. That That's, you know, no animation, no, you know, I mean, I'm half a cartoon character anyway. So so no animation, no big graphics, no blah, 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 right? That's that's going to be really, really influential and really, really big. It's 700 million views and downloads and, you know, a million plus books a year for free and all that, right? So people wouldn't have said that. You, it's called Say's Law, right? Sometimes supply creates its own demand, right? Like you didn't know you needed an iPad till you, there was an iPad or whatever, right? And so there are all these other media that's out there. And what they're doing is they're contradicting the media that you consider to be legitimate and authoritative. You know, like the New York Times, the old gray lady, they've got Pulitzers, uh, one of which they got for covering up Stalin's evils when they were even more lefty than they are now, or maybe maybe it's the same amount, I don't know. But you've got uh, the Washington Post, you've got like all of these wonderful TV stations, they've got big offices, they've got reporters, they've got stock tickers, they've got you name it, right? People have got master's degrees in journalism are out there, you know, with an imaginary cigarette hanging off and typing away like uh, the most reliable, foundational, honest people in the universe. And that's your view. Like, that's legitimate. That And so that's information. That's news. Those are facts. Like, that's the world. That's the matrix you live in, right? Now, on the other side, there are all these people who are saying, well, wait a minute. Our climate models that have to multiply the effects of CO2 and pretend to predict weather 100 years out. Is that really settled science? Is it really settled science to the point where you have to institute a massive multi-trillion dollar global tax and wreck the economy? And like, is it really? Because, you know, on, on this wall, like think of that wall of, of, of screens and, and wall of TVs and wall of newspapers and, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of very credible, serious people who don't work in studios in their basement or whatever like they, they're out there they've got offices and and payroll and 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 so on and they throw balls and parties and everyone's in tuxes i mean i know it sounds kind of silly but this is actually how people's brains 
work. So if you're in a tech company and you look at this big wall of media and you say, well, that's that's the news, man. That's legitimate. Those people, they have fact checkers. They've got editors. They blah, 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 right? And on the other hand, there's just people I don't even know who they are. Like they're just people in a basement, like individuals out there, you know, yelling and, you know, they're not in suits and they don't have big offices and, and they don't have uh, fact checkers in the way that, you know, the mainstream media does and all that. So then what you do is you say, okay, well, those people who agree with me, they've got the information. Those people who disagree with me or disagree with those big, impressive buildings and people, well, that's just disinformation, right? So then what you say is you say, okay, well, that's information, that's disinformation. So let's, you know, we, we want to crush that disinformation stuff. We want to get rid of it completely because, you know, free speech, blah, blah, blah. But let's not, let, let, let's give people the facts, which means let's give them the mainstream media because that other stuff is like, hmm. I can trust the New York Times. They don't always get it right, but there are corrections and fact checkers and blah, 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 right? CNN, okay, they, maybe they got the Nick Sandman thing a little bit wrong and blah, 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 right? But those people I can trust, those people, uh, I don't know. I don't want to kill them off from my platform because, you know, free speech and all that. And, and, you know, maybe once in a while, like a blind archer shooting an arrow over a house, they hit the target by accident or whatever. So it's easy to kind of talk yourself into, well, we want to promote information that's vetted. Mainstream media, we don't want these crazy guys in the basement to be out there influencing too much because that's just not real facts or real information. So um, it's what you can talk yourself into is the great danger in life. What can you talk yourself into that just ain't true? Let's see here. Um, I don't have a question, but I wanted to thank you for all of your effort. As a student, it's been wonderful learning and listening to you. I really appreciate your call-in shows and how much you truly care. I know 2019 was hard on you. But you're truly making a difference in people's lives. Well, thank you. That is uh, lovely to hear. And uh, boy, I thought 2019 was hard. 2020 is shaping up to be quite, quite the excitement. All right, let's. Um, uh, what are your thoughts on Trump's space force? Is NASA viable? Is our future in space? And do you believe whether this is achievable? How do you integrate this with your other views? I don't really know much about Trump's space force. Uh, NASA is okay. I'm going to do this really briefly because I've talked about this before, but. When you privatize, when you, when you take something from the private sector, from the free market and put it into government, it's like cocaine, man. It's supercharged because you have the competence, the expertise, the customer focus, the, the workaholism, the dedication from the free market. And then you suddenly, boom, you flush this massive tsunami of government cash into that. And you can achieve incredible things like putting a man on the moon by the end of the 60s. You, you can just do incredible stuff. I talked to some guy, uh, it, it's not been released yet, as in Colin Cho, and he was talking about back in the days in NASA, the slogan on the wall, I just want to make sure I got it assembled in my head correctly, the slogan on the wall was, waste nothing but money. <laughs> money is no object, price is no object. And so when, like, it's like when you, when you take doctors from the free market and then you put them in government socialized medicine, for the first bit, it's like, oh, my God, why didn't we do this before? This is incredible. Because you get these doctors who grew up in the free market and, and they really care about their patients. They work nights and weekends. They don't care as much about money. And they're really happy because they get a lot of extra pay. And the patients are really happy because they get really dedicated doctors and so on. And it's the same thing with NASA, with the engineers. You get these engineers coming in for the free market. You give them government cash and they can walk on freaking water. It's incredible what they can do. But like cocaine, yeah, there's a downside, right? There's a downside. 
And the downside, of course, is that once that first generation, well, first of all, the, the infinite money and the lack of consequentiality, the lack of consequences, begins to diminish the work ethic of the people who started there. Right? They get a little lazy, they get a little sloppy, and then the next generation of people who come in have never had any exposure to the free market. They go straight into a government cushy job, and this is why, I mean, what has NASA done lately? Put a man on the moon, and Apollo ad infinitum, space shuttle, and then what? Because it's all decaying, it's all falling apart. I did a show with a guy recently, interviewed a guy recently, who basically was saying, well, the reason why we had to ground the Concorde is we're just not smart enough to run it anymore. Oh, it's a whole other issue. It's a whole other issue. But um, no, I mean, if the future is going to be in space, it's going to be through the free market. I said this probably 15 years ago on my show that if we ever meet space aliens, they're going to come not with weapons, but with them all. Because it's going to have to be a free market society that, that gets it in the hands of people to, to get into space. All, the, all that money, if it had been left in the free market, we could all have space holidays right now, but because it all went into the government, you got this amazing, wow, cool, you know, like the Manhattan Project and all of that. Cool, they, they did amazing things and so on, right? But then, all right. Let's see here. I have two questions. One, I understand the concept of not hitting children. I was hit myself as a child, not brutally for bruises, bruises or blood, but I think if I hadn't been hit, I would have been more afraid of being hit by other people. I guess the thought I had was, okay, try it. At least I can hit you back. Doesn't not ever getting hit put a kid at a disadvantage that way? Why are you afraid of getting hit by people in your life? What, are you giving speeches in Australia, for heaven's sakes? Regarding having no government, I've heard you talk about how people will take care of things themselves. But what if you're in some area where a lot of corrupt people are banding together, say an extended family, and you really don't have the power to fight them? How would you stop them from robbing or molesting you, etc.? Okay, and these are great questions, great questions. And one of the things I did early on in the show, this whole free domain voyage was uh, I put together free books to to answer these questions. So I've got two books on this. One is called Everyday Anarchy, showing how anarchy or statelessness works perfectly well in our everyday life. It even works really well in government, right? So the question is, okay, well, how on earth are contracts enforced without a government? You understand that the government runs currently, the vast majority of the government runs on contracts that are not enforceable. In fact, they're actually illegal, Right, so the idea that the government can ban drugs and, and, and make drugs vanish from society, it's ridiculous. You can't even ban drugs from prisons. Even if you turn all of society into a prison, you can't ban drugs effectively. But government runs on illegal, unenforceable contracts. Contracts which if they were ever revealed or written down, people would go to jail, right? Which is basically you donate money to the government and then you get a, you get a meeting with the guy you donated money to and he does political favors for you. All of that's generally illegal. But it's how government runs. So even the government runs on stateless society principles. Now, in a stateless society, you can have contracts and you can have contract enforcement agencies. I call them DROs or dispute resolution organizations. And you and I can engage in a contract. And if uh, one of us breaks the contract, then we have to pay the other one. And if we break that contract of having to pay the other one, then we, you know, get progressively economically um, disincentivized to the point where it becomes, you know, more, more and more difficult to function in society until we do the right thing and honor our contracts and so on, right? I mean, it's the same way that eBay runs, right? I mean, uh, or, or, you know, eBay, you get reputation uh, counselor or you get reputation ratings and so on. The same thing happens on Amazon, I think. And if you send out your products in a decent and 
right way and the products are good, you get good ratings. And if you don't, you get bad ratings. And that has a big effect on whether you can continue or not and so on. So there's a huge amount that runs without enforceability in the world. And uh, government is one of those things. So the idea that we need government to enforce contracts when government runs on illegal contracts, uh, you understand, it's not very credible. So everyday anarchy, practical anarchy, you can read those books they are available in audiobook and video format, and they're available in print, and they're available in PDF, and, and you name it, and they, you can get them on HTML on the website, I think. Just go to freedomain.com and, and check it all out. It's all free. And the great questions national defense, roads, blah, 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 right? So I've got really good answers, I think. And there's lots of people out there who've worked on those questions as well. Let's just go back to the not hitting children. It's not a concept. I'm sorry to be annoying. It's not like some concept. Let's not hit children like it's an idea. It's, it's a moral absolute. It's a moral absolute. The initiation of the use of force is immoral. It's wrong. And if done consciously, it's evil. Evil, like once you have heard and understand the arguments, I'm not saying in a state of nature when it's all been justified and spare the rod, which is a misinterpretation of what's in the Bible. The rod means instruction, not a stick you hit people with. But once you understand the arguments, if you continue to hit your children, that's an evil action. The initiation of force is immoral. And if you want to know why, I've got a whole free book. I'm not trying to pump books because they're free. I'm trying to pump them because they're good and useful. Uh, you, you can pick up Essential Philosophy. It's, it's on the web as well. I think there's, oh, there's an MP3 of it, uh, fdrpodcast.com. You can just search for Essential Philosophy where I go over the argument as to why the initiation of force is immoral. It's called Universally Preferable Behavior. You, there's also a big fleshed out book about all of this as well. But just suffice to say, I think we all accept that walking up and punching someone in the face and breaking their nose is an evil action. It's immoral action. So why the hell would it be different with children? Children are the people in society most deserving of moral protection. You know, you go into a biker bar and you crack someone on the head, they'll crack you right back. So they need less protection. You go and let's say your wife is half your size or whatever, you go punch her, she calls the cops, she moves out, she gets your ass thrown in jail. And those people, the, the, the big burly man mountain schwarzenegger style guy in the biker bar he's got the full protection of law if you go up and hit him you say well not that hard above it's okay well go and just slap him in the face go and slap pull his pants down and slap him in the butt see what kind of day you have i mean they're gonna get all kinds of two-pack shakur sending you up to maximum security for a couple of years on you right your wife half your size who chose you, who's with you voluntarily, she gets full protection of the law if you lay a finger on her in anger. Why not children? Let me tell you something. Your children did not choose to be there with you. Your wife, she chooses to be there with you. She got a chance to date you, to vet you, to get engaged to you, to see what you like. She stays every day. She could leave like that. She has full independence, legal autonomy. She can get support. She can go to a shelter. She can move in with her sister or whatever. So every day that your wife is there, she's there by choice. And she got a chance to vet you. She could have married anyone or no one. She chose you. Your children, they don't have that. They didn't choose you. And they can't leave. It's the ABC, the accidental biological cage. My daughter didn't choose me. She can't go anywhere. 
So clearly, the least voluntary relationships that you have and the greater power differential that you have, and there's no greater power differential in the world than that between a parent and a child. The least voluntary relationship that you have with the greatest power differential should be the one where your ethics are manifested the most strongly. Not the least strongly, but the most strongly. Which means you can't hit your children. Like, of course you can't hit your children. Oh, but how am I going to get them to change? Or how am I going to... That's your problem to solve. I mean, if someone came up to you and said, Ben, what do you mean I can't hit my girlfriend? How am I going to get her to love me? (laughs) How am I going to train her to be a good girl? Like, that would be crazy. You'd say, like, I don't know what it is you're trying to achieve with your girlfriend. And it doesn't matter. You can't hit her. You can't hit her. It's wrong. It's immoral. Spanking is a violation of the non-aggression principle. Spanking is a violation of the non-aggression principle. You can check out my blog for a full article on all of this. as a podcast. as a video. Spanking is a violation of the non-aggression principle. Don't shoot the messenger, man. It's just reality. Say, oh, well, how am I going to do that? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happens after you do the right thing. It really doesn't matter what happens after you do the right thing. You'll find a way. If you don't hit your kids, you'll find a way to negotiate with them. And everybody's going to be a lot happier. If you did hit your kids, sit down with them and apologize for it. Tell them you're not going to do it again. Because it's wrong. I just released a show today with my daughter. Tell me how much I need to hit her. And I will never listen to you. And, you know, oh, well, what if she was a boy? It's like, come on, my friends are peaceful parents. I wouldn't be friends with somebody who wasn't a peaceful parent. I mean, I might certainly would try and change them and all of that. But um, it's not about my daughter's gender. I, I know people who've got three boys, four boys, It works. It's fine. In fact, boys, I think, react even worse to being spanked than girls do. Uh, Somebody says, I know you've been struggling, blah, blah, blah. Have you considered joining Dave Rubens or Jordan Peterson's new platform? I have, in fact, joined them, and I post there. It's called ThinkSpot. So you should check that out. Ah, Let's see here. Uh, Hi, Stefan. I'm sorry that you wear so much... Heat for thinking and speaking. Whenever I see free thinkers getting deplatformed and disenfranchised, I'm constantly reminded of the Martin quote. When you tear out a man's tongue, you are not proving him a liar. You're only telling the world that you fear what he might say. That's a decent quote. But since this is an AMA, what do you think the world is going to look like in 2100? Well, it's going to look like how we choose to look it to look like. There is no inevitability. And I don't like the idea that it's just dominoes falling and so on. It, it really depends on how well we argue and how well people listen. Uh, what do you think about Reddit's seemingly endless quarantine of R. the Donalds? I think it's terrible. Which lib would you most want to debate and destroy? Again, you know, I mean, there's this cage match stuff when it comes to debates. Uh, I, Which lib would you most want to debate and destroy? It's a fine question. Most want to. I'm just I'm sorting here and it's like... <laughs> An ASCII text dump of of sorting. There's no index. Sorry, it's kind of geeky reference, but um, hmm, who would I most like to debate with? Maybe Jake Tapper. I don't know. Just popped into my head. 
we all know it's current year and we live in society, but what's it like to have testicles the size of grapefruits? <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> well, you know, listen, I have my nervousness about some topics and I get a little jangled from time to time. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to pretend I'm some Howard Rourke indifferent robot of reason or whatever. But I will trade some worry in the here and now for no regret down the road. Or no regret down the road. Because if things don't go out of hell in a handbasket, if I've done everything I could to, to push back and reverse it, okay, it's like, well, I did everything I could, you know, sorry, but, you know, then the, 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 the bad is on others who didn't listen, or maybe you, if you haven't put out enough or shared enough or made arguments enough or whatever, right? Don't, don't do that, right? Because if, if things go to hell in a handbasket, you don't want to be left with regret, regret, right? You don't want to end the battle with anything, so just metaphorically speaking, in the chamber, right? So, I, I don't want regrets down the road. I, I hope that we can turn things around using reason and evidence. We'll see. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't have the same opinion of that now as I did in the past. But hmm, don't don't end up with regret. Please don't end up with regret. All right. Hey, Stefan. Thanks for coming here and taking the time to speak with the community. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, what can we do to reverse the brainwashing that happens at higher education institutions? This is my single biggest issue with the West. Leftists infiltrated our schools in the 60s when we were told we all needed college to get a well-paying job. Then they raised a generation, generations of leftists through indoctrination. Thanks, Alinsky. How can we stop this and reverse the damage? Uh, well, listen, anything with the word arts in it is a total bullcrap degree. It's not. It's not even not worth the paper. It's written on it. It's worse than toilet paper because toilet paper has some utility. But um, you, you've got you've to keep people away from college. You've got to just like push back against this crazy, endless monster propaganda. You've got to go to college or you're nothing. I mean, if, if I, I, um, I gave up hiring people from college when I was in, uh, in the software, when I was a chief technology officer, and I, I just gave up hiring people from college because they I mean, they did be so stuffed full of leftist propaganda that they, they hated being there. They thought, you know, like I was the man, you know, you got to fight the man. You get in trouble with the man. And I, um, you just keep people away. It's, it's horrible. It, it'll destroy their lives. It'll destroy their capacity to love. It'll destroy their capacity to be productive and happy. It'll destroy their connection to reality that in order to consume, you have to produce or someone has to. So just keep people away. You've got to push back as hard as you can. I got the truth about college debt. I got the truth about college as a whole. I've been talking anti-college for years and years and years on this show. It is terrible. It is god-awful. It is a hellscape of, of social and spiritual destruction. So that's one thing, of course, right? All right. What can we do about restoring fairness in broadcasting? I don't know. I don't know. All right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, hey, Stefan, I've really enjoyed your work over the years. I love sending your post-event breakdowns to lefties ranting about fake news. I got a lot of mileage out of Sam Bernardino, Michael Brown, and Zimmerman videos. Those are videos that I did, of course. What do you think the furthest up the food chain or most notable Democrat will be to ever see justice, whether it be prison or stuffed into a rocket and sent into space? Hmm. Hmm. That's an interesting question. Um... Well, Mike Lavinati just got arrested, right? Or oh, he's, uh, he's, uh, I think he's been held without bail. 
So, um, that's not super high up or anything like that. But, um, you know, my, my big fear, this is my big fear, right? Which is, my concern is that people are going to say, okay, F, F the Popo, I'm taking justice into my own hands, right? That's going to be quite a bit of chaos, to put it mildly. And, you know, I really, really wish people understood this in law enforcement, in, in FBI, in, in who na- you name it, right, the DOJ, that if they keep letting these people go, at some point, you know, you can only pull back that bendy stick of justice so far before it just whaps back and, and whiplashes, right? And And so my concern is that, you know, by letting people go, which is kind of easier in the here and now, they're just setting it up for, you know, American Revolution Part 2, which would be a, a big, a big problem. Who do you think will win the Democrat primary election? Um, I think that, I mean, it comes down to Biden and Warren. I haven't really been following the polls. I haven't really been uh, I, I mean, Bernie Sanders, it's interesting, right? Because there was just this one, was it Monday or Tuesday or something like that, another debate where uh, the, the CN, it was a CNN, the moderator was saying to Bernie, you know, did you ever tell Warren that no woman could ever become president? He's like, nope. Turns to Warren and says, so what did you think when Bernie said that no woman could ever become president? And of course, she should have, she should have said, as in, if she was a remotely honorable or decent person, she should have just said, hey, he just said he didn't, Right. At least acknowledge the fact that he denied it, but she just went on, of course, and, you know, they're, they're trying to get Bernie out of the way so that they can get, right, um, all of that. And, uh, you know, Bernie looks like a kind of harmless old guy who combs his hair with a Van de Graaff generator, but, I mean, the guy is, um, you know, he's a snake in the garden, man. I mean, that that stuff is, what did he, honeymoon in, in um, Soviet Russia and, and uh, his, some of his organizers are like straight up, like, progressives get the bullet to communist sociopaths i mean that guy's that guy's dangerous as hell man he's dangerous as hell um and i think people on the left feels it's it's too soon for him that they need a transition figure they need a, a sort of bridging figure between that um i think biden's got a lot of baggage with his family man i'm biden's biden's got a lot of baggage with with uh, hunter biden in particular like all these out of wedlock stuff and that the affairs with his what is his wife's his brother's widow uh and like uh, all the stuff that was going on with barisma and all of that it's uh it's pretty rough and it's going to be tough to cover that kind of stuff up which is one of the reasons why they're suppressing all of the alternative media because we'd have all these presentations out there that i think that they felt uh, maybe rightly so had a big influence in 2016 so i think they're going to have to try and figure out whether the sort of gentle sit up straight school mom act of Warren, which again covers another snake in the grass, whether that's going to be enough or whether they're going to have to go full Biden. But if they go full Biden, they're going to have to really crush alternative media because, I mean, we're going to be out there picking these barnacles off that ship and showing everyone the true underside uh, pretty, pretty harshly. So it doesn't really matter, though, because um, I think Trump's got it. And either either Trump's going to use his second term to really deal with immigration and demographic change, or he's not. Now, if he is, there's going to be. I mean, as soon as as soon as Trump, I mean, he might he might have wanted to do a whole bunch on immigration, and everyone might have said, well, it'd just be blocked by the activist judges and the courts that weren't in in Hawaii, and like you just can't do it. It's not going to happen. Or they may have done a threat assessment and said, okay, well, if you if you start to really try and 
control immigration, then of course, there are a lot of people who moved out here, they want to get all their family over and they've got, you know, whatever, right? And so the, the, the media is going to gin up so much hysteria and anger that there's going to be blood in the streets and, and fire on the city blocks and so on. And, uh, you know, maybe he felt that would squash his chances at reelection or whatever, which it might have done, right? And so my guess is that one of the reasons they want to keep him out is that given that the second, you know, unless he goes full FDR, given that the second term is going to be the last term, then he might as well go full tilt boogie on immigration, which is what people most desperately want, as they did want with Brexit as well. And um, if he can do that, then there's a chance. If he can't, then it doesn't uh, It doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't matter because the whole country turns into California and they'll never be a Republican. Right. So, all right. Let's see here. Do you have any tips for the Donald for penetrating into the mainstream and for growth? On Reddit, it's nearly impossible to reach new people with the quarantine in place, and it seems like the admins will soon ban the Reddit page, hence the reason for this new website. Any help and or advice on growing this place would be greatly appreciated. Well, I've never tried to grow a website in that way, but I will tell you that when I was growing the show, and it's still something I do, but when I was growing the show in particular, I spent probably five to ten times more time promoting it than I did creating it, right? So I'd create a show, maybe a show would take half an hour, an hour to create, and then it would be like five to 10 hours or more of, you know, posting at various places, sending it out and, and putting it on message boards and making sure people were aware of it and, and writing articles that I could post on websites with links to my show. And so everybody wants to make stuff, nobody wants to promote stuff. And so it really is about the promotion uh, rather than the creation. So, all right, let's see here. Uh, right. What are the most blatant falsehoods or deceptions you see repeated in everyday society? Oh, I, mean, I think, I think the most fundamental one, I mean, there's probably a whole bunch and that's a great question. I might do a, a different show on that, but, um, the idea that if the government doesn't do something, it won't get done is something that is really, really hard. For people, and, and it really is as silly as saying, well, if there's no slavery, everyone's going to starve to death because no one's going to pick the fruit, and everyone's going to freeze to death because no one's going to pick the cotton, right? I mean, the idea that if the government doesn't do something, it won't get done. Well, if the government doesn't provide health care to people, then nobody, the, the, the people will simply not get health care. If the government doesn't build the roads, there won't be any roads. And if the government doesn't do this, doesn't help the poor, then the poor will stop. If the government doesn't do something, it simply won't get done. And that's not true. The government is kind of like lazy virtue. Like it's free evil for those in power for the most part, but it's really lazy virtue because, you know, if you've ever, this is kind of a little personal, but, you know, I like to switch gears, of course, particularly in a long chat. But if you've ever really tried to help someone in your life, it's really hard. You know, it's really tough. You know, if you've got someone who's got a bad habit or they're addicted to something, maybe they're addicted to sex or, or drugs or I guess rock and roll is okay, but, uh, or, or, or alcohol or whatever. Get in the change, or even if they're just addicted to dysfunctional relationships, or it's like getting them to change is really hard. And you gotta kinda roll up your sleeves. I mean, you've heard me in call in shows. Like I did a call in show, a dial in show that I live streamed, I think it was last week, and a woman called in who really sounded like she was bouncing off the walls and incoherent, and everyone was saying, drop the call, drop the call, drop the call. I hung in there for like over an hour just trying to get to some core that she could do something helpful or useful with out of that conversation. And, and I, I really did 
help her, but it's hard work. And it's, that's just an hour. So I'm not saying I turned her whole life around or anything, but I, I think I really helped. And I, it might have, might have done that. But it's one thing to say, I want to help people and I'm going to go and vote for it and then hand over the whole kit and caboodle to other people and then you you retreat and retire saying, oh, well, people have been helped. Why? Because I went and voted. So you get that sort of rush or the dopamine hit of, of good old altruism of helping people and so on. But unfortunately, what happens is, well, those people don't get helped, but you feel like they're getting helped, which is kind of like taking heroin for a toothache, right? You feel better, but it's, not, it's actually getting worse, right? Because you're not getting it dealt with. So people like thinking that problems are being solved because they've given up power to the government. And I think that's fundamentally what the government, outside of sort of the money and, and power, that's what the government is selling is, oh, we'll take care of it for you. You can feel fine about the poor and the sick and so on, right? So let's see here. Uh, hi, first of all, thank you for the Untruth series, which gave me ammunition back when I felt like the only Trump supporter in a five-mile radius. But more than anything, I want to thank you, Stefan, for the Bomb in the Brain series, which is how I got to know and love your channel. It's amazing how much respectful parenting impacted my life, how rich and close my relationship with my daughter is, and I honestly owe a lot to you and your parenting episodes. Please find some time to refocus on this precious and vital Subject, I will let everyone else get to the politics and free speech related rants, but this particular topic is closest to my heart. Well, when I first started the show, tagline was free domain radio, the logic of personal and political liberty, personal coming first. You can't control the Fed policy. You can't control how many tomahawks land in Syria. You can't control immigration directly. You can't, right? You can't do these things. What you can do is you can commit to the non-aggression principle in your own life. Do not have people in your life who are violent, who are destructive, who are dysfunctional, who are abusive. Sit down with them and try and work with it, but you can't change people. You can give them your arguments and your perspective. I would rather live in a restrictive political environment and have the family that I have and the friends that I have than live free and be with dysfunctional and broken people. I have more liberty because of my personal relationships in a less free political situation than I ever would have, in a more free political situation but with bad relationships. Work on bringing philosophy and virtue, integrity, consistency to life in your personal relationships. You'll be as free as you can possibly be in the current situation and more free than you'd be in a more free situation politically. And you will also be a shining beacon to other people about how the ideas actually work. How the ideas actually work. And yeah, bomb in the brain, you should check it out for sure. Uh, Hi, Stefan, I love your work. The way you put together and present facts is really fantastic. It's no wonder the left is going after you so hard. My question for you is, what do you think is the purpose of your life? Do you think a lot of the mental illness in our society and some of the crazy stuff we see people doing is because they do not think their life has a grand purpose? What is a good way to give your life purpose? I have my own ideas. I'm interested in what you have to say about this. I think the society of nihilists or people who have simply despaired is a dying society. It's one thing to have some intellectuals who don't believe in God and don't believe in a higher purpose. It's another thing when the typical man on the street also feels a lack of purpose. Well, that's true. That's true. 
uh, was it 80% or more of millennials feel that their life has no purpose. Uh, it's, um, you know, the fall of God, the fall of Jesus was catastrophic in many ways to the West because we can't seem to make the leap to philosophy. And philosophy can give you purpose, fighting evil, promoting virtue, living a life based on love. And you see, fighting evil is actually, you know, there's this idea, don't hate the sin or hate the sin. A lot of people are trapped with bad ideas, and I view them as like I'm walking in the woods and there's somebody that has a log has fallen on his legs. And he was hiking there and maybe the ice on the tree is cracked over and it fell on his legs and he's trapped and he's in pain and he's going to die there spiritually. The analogy is for spiritual death. Physically, in the analogy, he's going to die there. So what do you do? You, you, you know, you're deep in the woods going to get help and come, he's going to be dead by then. He's going to bleed out. He's going to freeze to death, whatever, right? Exposure. So what do you do? Well, you, you try and lift the log off his legs. Now that's going to hurt him like hell. You try and get that log off his legs because his legs have kind of gone numb. You start lifting that log, the blood flow comes back and his nerves start screaming and he's, and he hates you in that moment. But it's his only chance. It's his only chance. So what do you do? What is compassion? Is compassion not causing him any pain? Well, then you're just going to watch him die. The compassion is to work to save him, though it hurts him like hell. And you know that if he can be saved, he will thank you for the pain that you caused him because it was the only way that he could survive. He will thank you. You will get a nice basket every Christmas saying, hey, one Christmas extra, I get to be above ground because you lifted that godforsaken log off my leg. And maybe he won't make it, but at least he has a chance. And so when I'm out there in the world and people get angry and it hurts them, what I'm saying, you know, when I say, if you want to have kids, man, you've got to start younger than you think. You can't spend your life on porn and video games and think that you're going to have happiness. You know, when I say don't hit your kids, there are parents out there who've spent 10 years hitting their kids and they feel terrible about it. There are women who've missed their fertility window, squandered their youth and beauty and fecundity on trashy, high-status men, and now are in the mid-late 30s or early 40s. And nobody wants them. Well, maybe people want them, but the people who want them, the men who want them are like 60. And when I talk about the realities of life, of fertility, of being good to your children, not hitting your children, of getting out of dysfunctional relationships, if I say to people, listen, you're free to not see an abusive parent. You don't have to see them. I don't tell people to, I mean, this is a lie. And people say, oh, he, he breaks up family, tells people, no, come on. 
I don't tell people to leave their families. Never have. I tell them the fact is which they can. I think that people should sit down with their parents. If you have bad parents, you sit down with them and you try and reason with them and you try and talk about it with them and you tell them what happened and you tell them what you want and you try and get your needs met. Honorable needs. Reasonable needs. That's what I did. And I get reports that some parents take that relatively well and things go relatively well and relationships are saved and things improve. Other parents take a different path. Further abuse, further attack. They're children. Adult children. I don't talk to kids, right? Parents who've been mean to their children, they don't want to have that conversation. It hurts. It's lifting the log off their legs and they scream in pain. And it's not, you don't sit there and lift the log off the guy because you like his pain and you want him to hurt. You'd rather he didn't have the log on him to begin with. But what can you do? You're out there in the woods. A guy's going to bleed to death in 20 minutes unless you get him someplace where he can get help. So this idea that I'm mean or, or, or bad or, uh, come on, come on. Don't be silly. It's love that drives it for me. It's love. So my purpose is to help people. My purpose is to tell the truth. My, and I'm like, I'm sorry that it hurts, but I didn't put the log on the guy's leg. <laughs> and, and for the most part, neither did he. Because this is how people are raised. They're just raised with a bunch of lies. They get them at home. They get them in school like crazy these days. Get them in college. They get them in the media. They get them in Hollywood. That life of cheap and easy sex and slackerness and drugs. It's all cool and monstrous. It's an act of war against the human spirit to degrade our capacities to that degree. It's monstrous. Monstrous. And everywhere I go, there's people trapped under logs. Everywhere I go, there are people trapped, not trapped under logs, and it's a hellish thing to see. I walk with a limp. Because a couple of pretty heavy logs took out my legs too. And what do you do? Do you just keep walking and pretend that people aren't pinned, not trapped? I can't do that. How could you? Don't you care about people? So you lift the log. <laughs> and it's like Steve Carell in 40-year virgin, right? 40-year-old virgin. He's getting his chest waxed. Kelly Clarkson, <laughs> right? I mean, I certainly made a laugh, but he's not happy. It hurts. Apparently it's, it's good, right? For whatever reason, but People yell and kick and scream a lot, and they get mad at me, and they think they hate me, but, I mean, deep down, they know the truth. And some people, some people have logs fall, them, fall on them accidentally. Some people climb trees that they shouldn't, and the tree falls them, and other people, well, the trees that fall on them are pushed by others as an act of cruelty. So, anyway... That's the purpose. Save people. Give them reason. Give them a choice. 
Stefan, all I can say is thank you. You truly are a lighthouse of logic in a stormy sea of emotion. Well, thank you very much, and I appreciate that. And I'm also, um, I'm also pleased with with the incorporation of emotion into what it is that I'm doing. I've always avoided the spark thing or whatever, right? All right. Um, I'm just going to drop a thank you, Steph. You've changed my life in several ways. I've gone from hardline Republican to Mr. McNuke and Camp in the past couple of years, thanks to you. My marriage has flourished. We just need some kids, so thank you and God bless. Well, thank you. I really, really appreciate that. I really appreciate that. Uh, enjoyed hearing you on I Hypocrites Sex Wars and would love to see you appear on more streams. I appreciate that, and I'm reaching out. Well, people are reaching out for that as well, so all right. Uh, what's it like being internet famous and loved by some while being hated and targeted by some? Thanks for joining this website. Um, you know, music is a sound and a silence. It's waves, right? The closer the waves, the higher the pitch and so on. So music is sound and silence. You you can't have the beauty of music without the sound and the silence, without the presence and the absence, without the thing and its opposite, the sound and the silence. And you can't have paint without, you can't have beauty. You can't have... The beauty of touch. Touch your lover's skin. Well, the air and then the skin, right? The, the presence and the absence, right? Everything is... And this is all... This is very philosophical, but you can't achieve good without being hated by evildoers. I mean, that, that's the deal. That's, that's the reality. That's, that's what you sign up for. I mean, if you're in a war, the idea that the enemy is not going to have any opinions about you is... Well, they want you dead, right? I mean, that's that's the deal of, of war. And um, the vast majority of the vast majority of the feedback that I receive is overwhelmingly positive. You can look on my blog. I've actually just started over the last week or so putting together the testimonials that come into my inbox and that I get other places. I deal first of if you want to get a message to me, I, I the first place I go is Subscribestar. Uh, so you can get a message to me there, but so much positive feedback that comes back is uh, uh, is, is enormous, uh, enormously positive. So um, it, it's uh, it's the sun and sunspots. You know, if you look at the right look at it the right way, you don't even notice the sunspots. All right, let's do. Oh, if if love is the involuntary response to virtue, how can we say that we love our babies and children who can't yet make virtuous choices? Either the definition you've put forward is incorrect, or what we feel toward our young children is something other than love. Yeah, well, there's a reason it's called attachment, right? So you love the potential that's in your children, and you love the fact. Like my daughter was feeding me at four months, right? She take some food and, and pass it to me. And children can begin doing moral reasoning at eight months. So it's very, very early on that children can begin to display the kind of behavior that we love. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's attachment earlier than that for sure. And uh, children are too dependent upon you, particularly when they're younger, for you to have obviously the kind of love that you would have with an adult uh, because the adult has choice and the children don't. So yeah, there is an attachment as aspect of that. All right, let's uh, do one or two more. This is great fun. I really, really appreciate these questions. And I'm very sorry about um, uh, the stream, stream issues. I, I really do uh, really do apologize for that. I wish there was something I could do. So let's see here. Uh, let's go to, let's do one more question. Let's say, what do you think? And, and I hope you guys enjoy this as well. All right, let's go back to the ones I've seen. 
Uh, sorry, let's see here. Uh, Dave Rubin. I don't really think that much about uh, Dave Rubin these days. Let's see here. What else did I miss? What do you consider the globe's biggest problem? America's biggest problem. Uh, I mean, the abuse of children is, is the biggest problem in the world. Again, the bomb in the brain series, um, which I did, which analyzes the data, particularly run by Dr. Vincent Felitti, who I also interviewed for the series, uh, the abuse of children, which is takes many forms, physical abuse, of course, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, neglect, uh, anti-rational doctrines being forcibly impressed or branded into the children. Uh, children's minds through through aggression, violence, withdrawal of parental affection, punishment, brutality, and and outright physical violence. Uh, if we could, I said this before, if, if we could have five years of truly peaceful parenting, the world would be transformed into a relative paradise. And that's why I work so hard and focus so much attention on people's personal lives, on the quality of their relationships, and on the peaceful raising of children. And so if you can solve child abuse and neglect... And if you can get parents to be with, to eye contact, to play with, and to enjoy the company of their children. Like I just put out this show today called uh, Up With Women Is Not Down With Men, uh, which is a response to a show called The Real. Um, not not the most philosophical show, although you could say that it's, a <laughs> it's an epistemological or metaphysical question. But that's my daughter and I just sitting and chatting and sharing ideas with each other the way that we generally do. And it's it's great. So that's what I promote. And that's what I hope that you will take out of what it is that I do. If that's sort of one thing that I could do that would be remembered, it would be something to do with that. All right. Well, um, sorry again for the stream. I will uh, check it out and see if uh, um, uh, if we can figure out what, what happened and, and see if we can solve it before. Or maybe I'll find another uh, another place to, to stream that's uh, maybe a little bit better with the uh, throughput. But uh, please, please help out the show as best as you can. Uh, freedomain.com forward slash donate. I would really, really uh, appreciate that. And um, I look forward to your feedback. As always, thank you very much to The Donald for uh, hosting this. Uh, that would be just lovely uh, to, to get a hold of. Uh, and it was a real pleasure. And if there's other people that you wanted to um, get me on, uh, I would like to uh, uh, do more of these kinds of things. I would really uh, appreciate that. Also, I did join a place called Twitch, T-W-E-T-C-H, uh, Twitch app, at Twitch app at them. You can send me, if you want, a, a 15004 at moneybutton.com. Uh, if you wanted to send me something like that, that would be very much uh, appreciated. So uh, thanks again. Lots of love to you guys out there. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to have these conversations. It's uh, just a joy and a pleasure and a, a great honor to talk in this way. And um, I will look forward to the next one. And um, lots of love. Have a great, great night. I appreciate it.